0: Asshole Court is a biweekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects.
1: We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal
2: weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time, especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't.
1: If there's one thing humans love, it's a good war. Sure, we won't admit it, but let's be honest with ourselves. We love conflict. Think of all the wars that we have outside of, you know, actual wars. The War on Drugs, the War on Poverty, there were the Cola Wars of the 1980s between Coke and Pepsi, the Pizza Wars, that was Domino's and Pizza Hut, the Burger Wars, McDonald's and Burger King, the Coffee Wars, Starbucks and Dunkin Donuts. Most of these wars are entirely harmless. Nobody sane is going to get seriously upset if you like a Big Mac over a Whopper. And although a lot of people may judge a Pepsi fan, there's little real risk of them being attacked by the more glorious Coke majority. However, there is one war that has been waged with increasing ferocity over the past decade. The Culture War. How do you feel about Black Lives Matter? Gay marriage? Abortion? Feminism? Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the Star Spangled Banner? Blake Shelton as People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive? Pick a side and sharpen your knives because you're definitely going to want to stab a motherfucker that disagrees with you. Of course, in this environment, you will always find folks happy to throw their lot in with one side or the other and make an entire career out of it, and today's show is about just such a person. Jordan Peterson was a legitimate scholar and academic who decided in recent years that his efforts are better spent as a belligerent in the ever-present culture wars of the 21st century. Is he a charlatan? A calculating and cynical man that has factored the potential monetary gain in fame or infamy, depending on what you believe, of engaging in political and cultural combat? Or is he a true believer? Somebody that should be taken seriously no matter which side of the argument you come down on? Well open up your notebook take out a number two pencil and get ready to jot down notes furiously as we dissect the most controversial intellectual of the 21st century on this brain busting episode of i'm a clinical psychologist i'm very very very
2: careful with my words
1: All right, before we get started, we want to give a shout out to, and I'm so sorry about this, man, but your name is incredibly hard Eric C. Heluka, or maybe it's Chai Heluka. I don't know. I'm sorry, buddy. You're a great guy, a big fan, and we love you, but uh, he's from Oslo, Norway, and he actually suggested Peterson to us on Instagram. So appreciate it, Eric. A Norway fan, huh? A Norway fan. Nice. Let me I see like the it. spelling.
2: Let's see yeah, if I can yeah. give his last name a whirl here. Yeah, that'll we'll just call him Eric C. Eric C. Right.
1: Chihiluka? I don't know. Chihuahua? I know. Uh, yeah, Chihiluka. Chihiluka. Let's go with Eric Chihiluka. I tell you what, Eric, hit us up and let us know how to pronounce your name. But either way, we sincerely appreciate the oh, suggestion. Yeah. This was
2: interesting. This was an, uh, a great suggestion.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to the show, and I'm excited to see what we uh, find out here.
1: Okay, excellent. All right, so with that in mind, uh, let's get started with preliminary scores on Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. Randy, what you got? Awesome.
2: I'm going to give you a preliminary score, but I also want to do something first. Okay. Uh, your intro read got my wheels turning. Mm-hmm. Some of the wars that you mentioned on there.
1: I think I know where you guys fall yeah. on most of these. Well, why, why don't you say what you think where like uh, we fall, and then I'll tell you if you're right. All right. So the first one
2: was the Cola Wars. Yes. I think you're both Coke men. Yes,
1: yeah, I I'm probably am. veered towards Coke.
2: Yep. I'm, I'm a Coke no, guy. I'm 100% Coke. Yeah, yeah. there's. No
1: I also don't care that much. I, I, I will take a Pepsi or a Diet Pepsi. I don't uh, care.
0: Are you gonna drink any of that
2: pilk that's coming out now? No, oh, no, God. the Pepsi not. milk. Yeah, yeah, won't yeah. do that.
1: Won't do that. But my drink of choice is a Diet Coke. So I'm a yeah, Coke. Guy.
2: Okay. And honestly, it's not bad to throw Diet Pepsi in there, like once. A, like if we go out of town, when you go out of the South and you go up north. It's usually Pepsi yeah. you're getting. Which right? is funny and because it's Pepsi, okay.
1: Pepsi Southern too, which is North Carolina. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Now that's where I switch and I'll go to Pepsi products, but I'm going to go into the Mountain
2: Dew, Sierra Mist realm before, before I would do the Pepsi. Yeah. I like so.
1: 7 Up better than Sierra Mist and Sprite. But 7 Up is pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. A little crisper, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What's so the, the next nice one? The next one was the Pizza Wars. Uh, and I didn't include uh, Papa John's on here because the Pizza Wars took place in the 80s. Yes. Right? Of so course. Domino's
2: or Pizza Hut. All right. I know a little bit. Uh, you I mean, know me I know I've talked about it multiple times Mikey's a Domino's guy yep. and I think Buddy's a Pizza Hut guy yep exactly right That's and it. what do you think I would be I think you're a Pizza Hut guy Randy I would probably say Pizza Hut as well the Pizza Hut pan pizza is yeah. some of the most superb like one of the most Sought after delicacies In American cuisine I don't know I feel oh, like it's a,
1: the crust Is a greasy sponge Fuck dude It's so
2: good Dude they would bring it out In a cast iron pan yep. Back in the 90's yeah. Man uh-huh. I'm telling you The unlimited salad bar The video games yeah. While you waited Oh the
1: experience Was infinitely better At an you actual pizza were... pizza, But they don't exist anymore Freestanding pizza huts are, are a rare find these days so. That's true That's true. Alright All what's right. the next one Burger Wars McDonald's and Burger King I mean this one I, I know I know where Buddy's at Where am I at Oh, you're a 100% a McDonald's guy. No. Big Mac That's or so Whopper? Strange. You've no. always been, not Big Mac or Whopper so much, but you've always been the quarter pounder dude. A, every time we've gone out of town, you, you eat McDonald's. Now, because and that's where we usually like end up. But
0: yeah. if we're just talking about like the actual burger itself, man, Burger yeah. King kicks McDonald's ass on the
1: actual Go burger the, yeah. every day, and it's that it's the the flame grilled, char broiled. I love a good Whopper, but the thing is, it's the only thing I will order from Burger King ever, and I have to be in the mood specifically <sighs> for a Whopper. Give away your answer. Yeah, sorry.
2: I had you as a McDonald's guy anyway, but I do. I want you to tell mm-hmm. the world your Big Mac hack.
1: Oh, yeah, we talked about it in one episode, but it is the Big Mac hack is to just, you could order a double cheeseburger. That's and you, like $2. Yeah, and you clear out everything. You say double cheeseburger, but you're like, I want Big Mac sauce only. And then you use the French fries for the middle button. Oh, it's the, nice. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
2: Nice. I like it's, it. It is like a Big Mac. It's yeah. delicious. Yeah. Where right, are you now at Randy? I'm Now, Randy, I'm going to say McDonald's on Randy. If I could make my own Big Macs, it would be great. Yeah. I, and I do prefer the Big Mac yeah. yeah, over the Whopper. I like the Whopper. I like right. the
1: Whopper. I, I love the Big Mac. I wish they would make it out of like two quarter pounder patties. Right. Yeah, sure. Last one here is the Coffee Wars. So that's Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts.
2: All right. I think uh, Buddy's Dunkin', Mikey's Starbucks.
1: I am I'm Dunkin' all day.
2: Dunkin' all day. I'm Starbucks all day. Yeah. Way off. Yeah. What do I mean? Dunkin'.
1: I actually think he's your, your Starbucks guy. I'm a Starbucks guy. Yeah. Oh. The coffee
2: itself is better. Yeah. I, now opinion. here's the
1: thing. I agree. The coffee is better at Starbucks, but the ordering experience is better for Dunkin' Donuts because uh, they also have like the, the the coconut flavoring that they do not have. At, uh, at at Starbucks and coconut and coffee go together really really well.
2: Mm-mm, not at all. Yeah, not no. Uh-uh. Well, you don't like you don't like coconut. I don't anybody. like coconut. I like at coconut all, and so. even the coconut cream creamer. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, I, I love like, it. Oh, coconut no. coffee's great. Sounds horrible. No, but you you funny. You brought up the Dunkin' experience. You know you remember my Dunkin' story where I had an episode there and had to drive off mad. Like,
1: we to added to the pile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know
2: the Subway story. I'm I'm interested to hear the Dunkin' dude. All right, so they had a special two bacon, egg, and cheese croissants for $6. What did I want? I wanted no bacon. So all I wanted was egg and cheese, but give me that deal. So I wanted two bacon, egg, and cheese croissants. Cool. You're saving the company some money by letting them keep the bacon. I literally wanted no bacon. So two bacon, egg, and cheese croissants, no bacon, right? I order it. She rings it up, and all of a sudden, this other person comes through the drive-thru and is like, we can't do that. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, we can't do that. I was like, you can't take the bacon off? I was like, I just want egg and cheese, but I don't want to pay $8. And she's like, we can't do that. I was like, you can't take the bacon off. She's like, nope. I said, fuck it. And I drove off and I went home and I went on Google and left a review of that store. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, yeah, you know what? I rarely go back there. I only do it when I have to. Yeah, but they, they apparently told me, oh, you have a gift card waiting. We want to make it right. Blah, blah, blah. I'm never going there. See, Fuck their gift yeah. card. I just would just
1: take the bacon off the sandwich and eat my it. My
2: review is fucking awesome. I got a ton of fucking likes and comments <laughs> on it because <laughs> nice. it was pretty quirky. Nice. Yeah, I was like, I drove to the Starbucks down the street. They had no problem taking the bacon off yeah. my sandwich. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, we've covered the the <laughs> the food wars and soda wars yeah. and all that. Let's get to Jordan Peters. Digress a little bit. All right. This guy is an interesting cat because he has a, a unique spread of where his views lie you look at some of his views and you're like, huh, that's a pretty liberal view in terms of like drug legalization and things like that. But then you hear some of the, the shitty spouts about like gender identity and you're like, boy, you're like archaic in your thoughts or you're, you know, what's wrong with you in my opinion. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm like, did you're, yeah, you're, you're fucking all over the board, mm-hmm. but he did. I know he, he taught at Harvard at one point mm-hmm. and you're not a moron if you're teaching at Harvard. Right. So, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, this guy's just an interesting cat, but to start him off, Um, Without knowing too much of his assholery, I know a little bit about him. I think I'm going to have him right around Mm 6.35 pre-show for Jordan Peterson. All right. (laughs) 6.35 for uh, Randy. All right, buddy. What do you got? All right. So... I've seen Jordan
0: Peterson kind of pop through over the past couple of years. I mean, if you are browsing through Facebook or YouTube or anything, you'll see, you know, one of his, you know, him talking about something. And um, but I've never really like done any kind of deep dive into him. Mm I have heard him on the Joe Rogan show. He's been on there like four or five different times. Yep. Absolutely. And um, so since we just covered Joe this past episode, I went ahead and I went through a couple of those episodes. Nice. Not all of them because God, it's just listening to him talk for multiple hours at a time. You it's, didn't take the
2: 12 hours to go through all the content there? No, God, I didn't. shame. Yeah. Shame you should figure this. this man. Boo. But But, um, you know, he's very intelligent in
0: the way that he talks. Now, not with all the ideas that he carries all the time, but he has a, I don't know, maybe it's his voice also that is kind of just kind of like rings you in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I will say that I find it kind of interesting that for the first like two or three times that he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, he was very, um, very well put together. Mm -hmm. He was very concise. He was able to go back and forth with Joe, you know, just very easily. And, And the episode just really went through really seamlessly. Interestingly enough, on I think it was his last appearance on the Joe Rogan podcast, he's wearing a, a, a suit with like a, a like a one of those like bow tie or something. Yeah. But it's like a, a black suit, you know, like yeah. he's going to like go to a, like a formal dinner or something right. like yeah.
1: that. Somebody said they dressed like a Batman villain. And I was like, that's about right. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, he does look like a
0: Batman villain. <laughs> that's awesome. And I don't know what was wrong with him, but he looked like he had taken a bunch of Adderall before he went on because mm-hmm. for the first hour he is all over the place. Yeah. I mean, like, and I listened to like a couple episodes right back to back to back. So, yeah. I mean, like I had a pretty good finger on the pulse for what mm-hmm. he, he was about. But I mean, there was multiple times. And, you know, we talked about this in the last episode where Joe doesn't always push back. Mm-hmm. But man, he was pushing back left and right on Jordan this time. He was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And there was multiple times where uh-huh. he's like, Jamie, let's fact check that real quick. And that's
1: good that he's doing that. And it, it, is it because of the erratic nature of the conversation? If we were
0: going from point A to point B to point C, I mean, he was A to M to Q yeah, yeah, yeah. to nine yeah. to two yeah. all the way back. And then Joe would be like, so how does that relate back to what we were talking about? Right. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's like I was saying, you know, and we'd yeah. get back to it. And it's just interesting to see him so disorganized and yeah. just so out of sorts. Yeah. Um, yeah. I found it very interesting. And, you know, I know that he's a motivational speaker and that's kind of where I actually Mm-hmm. Clued into him. Uh-huh. And uh I mean, he says some really good stuff in his motivational speaking. I think he was a psychologist originally. Sure. And, um, you know, he dealt with a lot of people who, ha- who were battling drug addictions, depression, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, he really does have some really good advice to get people, you know, out of the rut and back mm-hmm. on track. So that's more from what I know him from. So it yeah. was kind of weird to see him seemingly on some kind of drugs or something like Mm -hmm. that prescript i don't you know it wasn't like he was rubbing his nose like he was doing a bunch of right right Right. there's some stuff here that
1: that that may illuminate the shift there so oh okay
0: so um yeah it was a little bit of a shocker for me so initially um because i haven't done any deep research on them i you know i just got to go off of like the motivational stuff Mm -hmm. and i haven't really plowed into like what he actually believes there's nothing that really set off any red flags from what i heard on the joe rogan podcast yes he was talking about like a lot of stuff that people were coming at him for but he was Mm -hmm. saying it was unfounded Mm -hmm. so uh right off the rip i've got to give him a 4.5 okay and we'll see where he uh lands once the dust settles all right good deal 4.5
1: for buddy Mikey. Okay. What you got, buddy? Uh I'm pretty familiar with Jordan Peterson, have been for the past few years. So actually when uh Eric uh from Norway hit us up and he was just like, Hey, you know, I think he's a cool guy. Like if you're comparing him like sort of in some weird way to Andrew Tate, I don't think that's fair. And I was like, that's yeah, a fair challenge. I was like, you know, that's that's fair. You know, let me go ahead and kind of look into this and sort of express like why I have concerns about Jordan Peterson as a person.
0: When I saw Eric's comment on that, that's kind of more the same sentiment that I was aligned yep. with. So I was, you know, surprised to hear your take on it and yeah. interested to see what's going to happen here in the show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, real quick, because we've got a lot to cover, I'm going to jump into this with a 6.0 to start off with uh, Jordan Peterson. All
2: right. 6.0 for Mikey.
0: All right. With a 6.35 from Randy, a 4.5 from Buddy, and a 6.0 from Mikey, Jordan Peterson's pre-show asshole score is a 5.62.
2: All right, 5.62 puts him in pretty good company, just above Courtney Love at a 5.5, and just below our boy Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook at 5.67. Oh,
1: interesting.
2: Yeah. So he falls right in between Courtney Love and Mark Zuckerberg.
1: There you go. Okay. Are you guys ready to expand your minds? Let's do it. Let's
2: dive into it.
1: Jordan Burnt Peterson is born on June 12, sixty two, in Edmonton, Canada, the main show in Alberta. That's hang, hang on, burnt. That's correct. B u r n t. B e r n d t. Burnt. 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 Yeah. Oh, Bernt. okay. Yeah, yeah, I was like burnt, like toast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah it's exactly. a. No, it's not a name you hear a lot, but it's uh, apparently like uh, Norwegian or Nordic or something like that. So, All right, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, he's in Edmonton, Canada, which is like I said, it's in Alberta, which is cowboy Canada, if you're unfamiliar. Yep. He grows up in the small town of Fairview, population roughly 1,500 at the time of his birth. His father, Walter, was a school teacher, and his mother, a librarian. Nerd alert. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding, man. That's not <laughs> nice. Peterson was a tiny boy, which he says forced him to develop a quick wit as a defense mechanism. You better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it also fostered a fascination, he said, almost an obsession with the concept of masculinity. In one Facebook post of his, Peterson recalls eavesdropping on a conversation with a neighbor girl named Tammy Roberts, who joked with her friend that when she married, she wanted to keep her maiden name, so she supposed that she would have to, quote, marry some wimp. Which, I suppose little girls could have been having that conversations in the 60s in cowboy Canada, but it sure feels just kind of odd, I don't know. I'm going to make an observation
2: Mm -hmm. may not be very popular. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll just say it. Women who tend to hyphenate their last names after they get married, Mm -hmm. uh, gravitate more towards being a bitch than women that don't. I've just kind of noticed that. All right.
1: Well, you have a right to your opinion. And I think
2: that, uh, every woman with a hyphenated last name, please don't hate me. You're not all bitches. Yeah. But I have just made that observation in my years Okay. that, uh, Women who generally hyphenate their last name are a bit more of a bitch.
1: All right. Fair enough.
2: Just an opinion. That's at Randy at AHC Podcast. (laughs) Really? You guys got nothing on that? Like, (laughs) I mean- uh, Have you
1: never noticed that? I have noticed that- uh, It's a bold move, right? It is a bold move. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like, uh, yeah, they have to be a certain type of person to sort of uh, step outside of societal norms. So, of course, you're going to categorize somebody- in a way that uh, that they feel comfortable with that, and they also feel like they have a personal sense of identity. Yes, they can have strong personalities. I will put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, that conversation seems to form a core memory for Peterson. Another childhood memory that Peterson recalled in the documentary *The Rise of Jordan Peterson* was him seeing Bobby Kennedy's funeral as a child. I thought you were gonna say him seeing Bobby Kennedy get assassinated. <laughs> no, no, yeah. it wasn't at the hotel in L.A. That whip got assassinated, yeah. not me. The, so in this documentary, the, he was, uh, you know, they were asking him, you know, about memories, and he says the earliest political memory I have it was when Robert Kennedy was shot. I don't know how old I was, probably four or five. I watched his funeral and I thought. I'm going to have a funeral like that. The off-camera questioner asked, what made you think that you'd have a funeral like that? And he says, I have no idea. I I have no idea why I thought that. (laughs) And the camera guy asked him again, he goes, what struck you about the funeral? Peterson said that it was, well, that it was a very large public event, that there was a lot of grief that was associated with it. That was the first thing that really kind of had an impact on me. I suppose that was part of the outside political world, but I was pretty young when that happened. So that's interesting well unpack it a little bit to me it
2: screams attention
0: yeah right aspirations of wanting to be remembered so much that that would happen for you right
2: narcissism yeah Yeah, you're gonna
1: have a state funeral (laughs) at six years old like i said i mean it's an it's like it's certainly an interesting thought regarding a state funeral for a five-year-old or whatever um i think it's a good starting point here anyways he grows up in a vaguely religious family the type of family that mostly goes to church for the social and community aspect Mm -hmm. But he decides somewhere in his youth that, quote, religion was for the ignorant, weak, and superstitious, and so he moves away from it. It is also around this age that he becomes consumed with the Cold War and the fear of nuclear annihilation, which, to be fair, wasn't out of the norm at the time. I still vaguely remember how prevalent the idea of it was uh, for me as a child in the 80s. I spent a lot of time as a young kid drawing fighter jets with USA on the tail stabilizer, shooting at jets with USSR written on their tails, you constantly thought about war with the Soviet Union if you were if you grew up in the Cold War. Yeah,
2: we didn't see it much like growing up. I think the biggest thing I can relate it to was the Y two K scare mm-hmm. when everybody thought the banks were going to crash and the world was going to come to an end because we would have no financial systems didn't happen obviously, but that everybody had a valid reason. Yeah, oh, the banks didn't make this adjustment, and everything's going to crash. Uh, that guy in my neighborhood, you guys remember, remember he built the Y2K shed, it was an underground
1: yeah bunker bunker with yeah. a
2: shed on top of it full yeah. of like canned and yeah. survival goods
1: well and the y2k can seem like an absurdity but the reality is is that we got real fucking close to nuclear war with the cuban missile yeah, crisis for sure and oh, we absolutely. had a couple uh close scares there so like I, said, I I mean there was a there was a real existential threat for a nuclear war uh, during the cold war uh it still exists
0: yeah i don't recall it much you know growing up except seeing it in popular culture you know some of the movies that we watched back in the day um, you know, definitely was you know USA kicking the ass out oh, of yeah. the, you know Russia, oh, yeah. you know, exactly. Yeah. You know, but yeah, that's about as close as I came to actually yeah. feeling it in a sense.
1: Exactly. I mean, but like a Soviet invasion or a nuclear war seemed like a real possibility to like six year old me, so I totally get it. Thankfully, Rocky Balboa ended it all for us by defeating Ivan Drago and Rocky Four and winning what the Cold say, War. Rocky Four yeah. helped the Cold War. For a little while, Peterson finds himself in the camp of ideological leftists, not necessarily radical, but left nonetheless. Uh, he joined the what was called the New Democratic Party in Canada. At a certain point, he professed to want a left-wing revolution, but that thought dissipates when he begins interacting with left-wing activists in his first few years of college, which makes sense. I mean, college-age political activists are as enjoyable in company as sharing a car ride with your lactose intolerant uncle after attending queso Fest. <laughs>
2: Very true, man. That uh, that shoe fits yeah. quite well with that description.
1: Now it's hard to get details on what exactly happened with his uh, fellow left-wing activists at Grand Prairie Regional College or at the University of Alberta, but it certainly seems like it could be important for his, you know, development in life. Sure, sure. And we'll get into to this a little bit later on. And also, honestly, I I just had a uh, fun time thinking of leftist activists at Grand Prairie Regional College. <laughs> Like protesting a rodeo animal cruelty at the uh, Calgary Stampede, flattening tractor tires or some shit. And I
2: imagine a bunch of dorks sitting at like a picnic table outside yeah. like, with the 70s glasses and like oh, yeah. the porn star haircuts just yeah. acting mad. Yo, yeah, man.
1: We have to live out here in Cowboy Canada, man, with a bunch of backwoods idiots, man. Tell you what, man, that bull's dick's huge, man. <laughs> either way his negative interaction causes him to jettison ideologies in general he says he's like I got rid of all ideologies which okay Uh, and instead focus on what he called the human impulse to destruction and its ramification in the Cold War he drops his intended path at this point as a corporate lawyer and begins classes in psychology in order as a fellow professor later put it to understand why some people would destroy everything their past their present and their future because of strong beliefs, which is admittedly a very interesting question and one that certainly feels relevant both culturally and specifically to this show yeah. and our times. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. He spends a summer working on a railroad in Saskatchewan. All the dudes he works with call him Howdy Doody because he's a little freckle faced weenie. <laughs> <laughs> During school, he visits a maximum security prison where he's especially impressed by a prisoner with a massive scar down his chest, which he assumes came from either surgery or an axe wound, an injury that he says, quote, would have killed a lesser man anyway, someone like me. Hmm. The wimp. Yeah. 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 We see a pattern here. It feels a bit like a wiener. Yep. It's, yeah. I don't know. Anyways, let's keep going.
2: It glorifies the,
1: the masculine, you know, dominant. That's right. Yeah. A girl proposes to Peterson. Who is this girl? So bold and progressive that she swaps societal roles and asks for young Jordan's hand in marriage. Why? It's Tammy Roberts. The same girl that he says remembered talking about keeping her surname and therefore having to marry a wimp. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. They agree to a contest to see whose name they will take. And that is whoever can pee the farthest standing out (laughs) of (laughs) the I'm kidding. Tammy wins. (laughs) I'm kidding. She takes his name. Pretty simple. Huh. All right. Which, again, you're like, okay, that's interesting Talking a big game, girl. That's right.
0: Well, she was like six, but she let go of those six-year-old ideologies.
1: Also, I should note here that I read an article that said that she proposed to him and another that said that he proposed to her multiple times. It's not really relevant, so I didn't dig much deeper. It's just a note.
0: Okay. Sure.
1: Following the University of Alberta, where he graduated with a B.A. in political science, he does a gap year in Europe. He spends time studying the psychological origins of the Cold War and reading people like Nietzsche and Solzhenitsyn and Dostoevsky and farting into jars. He'd close up to Huff later on to prepare for coffeehouse discussions with the provincial Canucks back home who hadn't done a gap year in Europe and only had the paperback edition of the Gulag Archipelago. What
2: the hell is the Gulag Archipelago?
1: That is the book by Solzhenitsyn. That's um,
2: Come on, man. I know. You, and, know hey. you know who you're talking to. Talking to <laughs> like, <we're> Solzhenitsyn. Talking. <laughs> of course. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah.
1: Sniff my farts, fuckers. Hey. <laughs> is he a Russian writer? He is. He is. All right. Uh. Well, he was. He's dead now. But yeah, um, he heads on to Montreal to attend McGill University, which is like the Canadian equivalent of Yale or Princeton. OK. Very good school. And McGill, he earns his Ph.D. in clinical psychology and spends a couple of years as a postdoctoral fellow at the university hospital. Following this, he is hired as an assistant professor at Harvard University. He works as both a clinical and a research psychologist, and his research uh, specialty at the time was in personality traits. One of his most prominent papers at this time is a study of uh, what makes people more or less creative, and he argues that people who pay more attention to seemingly irrelevant details actually tend to be more creative. So, I don't know, it's interesting stuff. It's, it's total academia. You know what I mean? It's not answering huge questions. It's very yeah. sort of uh, granular in what they're like looking at. So
2: folks that are less attentive to detail tend to be more creative?
1: No. It's, it's folks that are more attentive to irrelevant details. Okay. Like, if you're looking at a car, right, and you're like, oh, that's a Honda Civic. Or I whatever. really like the red
2: brake pads
1: behind the rims. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love the way that the, the taillights look on this, whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's the stuff that doesn't make a huge difference, but it's just that sort of detail, which, mm-hmm. I mean, it almost feels obvious. But again, you have to prove that. One of the
0: discussions that he had with Joe, and this was actually in the, the last episode where he was kind of going a little crazy, um, he was talking about how creatives only do it as they're seeking power and Joe was like what are you talking about and he was like every creative that's you know just how it is they're always seeking power and Joe's like a, a painter is seeking power mm-hmm. and he's like of course he's trying to climb that social ladder he's trying to get up to the top and he's just wanting power and he's like okay musicians every single one of them searching for power he's yeah. like absolutely yeah and he's kind of like going on this rant Joe's like yeah I'm gonna disagree with you on that, <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, all that. Yeah, yeah I think
1: yeah. I think you're yeah the, the motivations there could be very different yeah
0: and he goes, um, he said something along the fact he was like, well, that's what academics think. And Joe was like, well, you know, that sounds like something that an academic would say with no knowledge of creativity and, yeah. you know, just sitting there studying, you know, what they think creativity is. And yeah. so it was a, I, I applauded him on the pushback on it.
1: That's good. I know, uh, when I sort of write these shows and I write in general or think about doing all sorts of weird subsets of borderline creative.
2: I think about power. I think about, uh,
1: <laughs> I, I think about having a state funeral like Bobby. That's Kennedy's right. Myself. Absolutely.
0: That was the whole point that we, uh, started this podcast. Yeah. Absolutely. I was like,
1: I will not be satisfied until they bury me Arlington with a 21 gun salute. And I'm talking fucking howitzers, you motherfuckers. <laughs> and I will earn my way there by talking about
2: legends like Fred Durst, and Dustin Diamond. That's right. Screech from hey, Save by the Bell will right. get me a state funeral. Another rung on the ladder.
1: That's mm-hmm. right. By 1998, he's working as an associate professor at Harvard and is gathering everything to publish his first book. And let's be honest here. Throughout this stretch of time between McGill and Harvard and the publication of his first book, Jordan Peterson is an absolutely respected member of the academic psychology community. According to Google Scholar, he has been cited more than 10,000 times in academic publications and is one of the 70 most cited researchers in his subfield. Huh. And according to an article I read where the author sought out the opinions of Peterson's peers during this time in his life, the feedback he received was absolutely positive. David Watson, a psychology professor at Notre Dame, had this to say about Peterson's academic work. Quote, his work in personality assessment is very solid and well-respected.
2: I mean, it sounds like the guy knew his job Yeah, really,
0: really well. Absolutely. With his uh, motivational speeches, like, uh, they're powerful stuff. Like, yeah. I could see where if you were in a, a dark place, if mm-hmm. you just listened to him and actually applied what he was saying, like, it's simple stuff that, you know, he's just like, you know, if you're sitting there in a room, you got to change what you're doing every day. And even if it's as simple as just cleaning your room, like you see that pile of papers over there. Yeah. That, that I mean, just keep on doing it yeah. and your life will improve. I yeah. promise you, just clean up everything around
1: you. and Yeah, yeah. we're definitely like, oh. going to get into that because, that, like I said, There's a moment here where you're like, yeah, this guy's got it together. Very rational person. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. After exiting Harvard in 1998, Peterson publishes his first book in 1999. The book titled Maps of Meaning basically posits that ancient myths and stories in general are a human means of understanding and relating universal truths, that they are a way for humankind to construct meaning from a chaotic world. It focuses especially on the Jungian concept of the hero's journey in which an ordinary person heeds a call to adventure and goes out into the world to struggle and suffer, only to return with heightened self-knowledge. It's an interesting, if not innocuous, thought and theory, and while it does uh, garner a smattering of fairly positive reviews from fellow psychologists and the like, it isn't a bestseller at the time. It definitely doesn't make Jordan Peterson a household name doesn't make him anything beyond an obscure academic toilet away in one of scholarly psychology's subfields. And I'll be honest, like
2: 99% of scholars, mm-hmm. that's how they roll. 99.999.
1: Yeah, yeah. Man. yeah,
2: you hear, I guess you hear a lot when their findings you know, come to fruition, yes. right? But for all the research that people do, like a lot of the shit just doesn't pan out. Mm-hmm. You look at the scientific method, right? There's the hypothesis and then, yeah. The other parts um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean I know you test it And yeah. all that stuff
1: No but they love it. They love the work
2: That's what they do. They love, they
1: love just, they they go in there and this is what they love to do. And thank God for people like that, dude, because really something that would seem so, uh, like mundane or obscure to everybody else is like their passion for life and they're answering like the little problems in life or whatever that people can build on. That's the name of the game is you come up with things like, even like Jordan Peterson had his papers on like, alcoholism and stuff like that and people take that and they build on to something else to build a larger idea of of like the, the, the whole of humanity right well, yeah, in this sure. particular sense so those guys are great but not all of them you do have academics that want to be fucking famous sure and he is certainly one of them so yep. we're going to get into that
0: Ah, so. academics seeking power huh
1: that's exactly right and that maybe there's a projection hey and had he remained on this track he'd likely be working on further in his research and publishing in academic journals One thing is for sure, we certainly wouldn't be talking about him on an episode of Asshole Court.
2: Yeah, that would have been buried, for sure.
1: Yeah, no one's going to care about that. So what happened? It's hard to say with any certainty. There isn't really a documented moment where there was an internal change or epiphany where Peterson uh, decided to set aside his standard clinical academic work for the spotlight of public political opinion. Although, one of his colleagues and close friends and the guy that fought for him to be hired at University of Toronto in 1998 He had a description of his time at the university, and it does seem to hint at something brewing. And I'll say here that this guy actually wrote an op-ed that he was like, I was Jordan Peterson's biggest supporter, Uh and now I think he's dangerous. Okay. Oh, okay. He says, quote, he was more eccentric than I had expected. He was a maverick. Even though there was nothing uh, contentious about his research, he objected in principle to having it reviewed by the University Research Ethics Committee, whose purpose is to protect the safety and well-being of experiment subjects. He requested a meeting with the committee. I was not present, but was told that he had questioned the authority and expertise of the committee members, had insisted that he alone was in a position to judge whether his research was ethical and that in any case he was fully capable of making such decisions himself. He was impervious to the facts that subjects in psychological research had been on occasion subjected to bad experiences and also the fact that both the Canadian and the United States governments had made these uh, reviews mandatory. So he totally went in front of the board and was like, you guys are all full of shit. You need to listen to me. Yeah, exactly. He was just like, you can't, there's, there shouldn't be an ethics committee on the on the research that I'm doing here. But the thing is that you talk about things like MKUltra and stuff like that, where people are doing like psychological experiments on people and these people could definitely become victims to like, you know, just bad faith science or yep. just sure. really experiments that aren't well thought out Absolutely. that can affect them later on in life. Oh,
2: you've seen it throughout history, man. Absolutely. One hundred percent.
1: That's why you really need to have like a like, you know, a review board.
2: Sure. Yeah. It makes sense. An ethics committee to,
0: you know, be able to stand there and be like, hey, yeah, this hey. is kind
1: of fucked up. Yeah. It's you can't put, you know, a shot collar on that dude's balls just to see what he does just for your own entertainment. <laughs> How dehydrated can we get him? Every time he gets (laughs) water, he gets shocked.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Once you get him extremely dehydrated, we'll ask him a series of questions and then send him home. That's exactly right. All right. right. Next. Exactly. Tired of commercials in the middle of your asshole court episodes? Do you want to say in the next show subject or the next conspiracy we discuss? Well, now you can. Go to patreon.com slash AHCPodcast. Get those ad-free shows you want. Get some input on who you want to hear about become internet famous with a shout-out on one of our shows. We've even got stickers and swag to show off to all your friends, and you'll get new Conspiracy Court episodes as well. Go to patreon.com slash AHCPodcast to find us today.
1: Either way, by 2010, his academic output certainly had become less prolific, although he remains employed at the University of Toronto and continues to see patients. Uh, Just a note here. His most influential research was published in the late nineties and early to mid two thousands. Of his twenty most cited papers, only one came out after twenty ten. Okay. Okay. So you can see like an arc here. Yeah. Like the work is becoming less important, certainly, and also just not as well respected. Sure. And as I was saying uh, earlier, that there was no real internal marker of delineation for Peterson's shift away from strict academia, there is an absolute external one. And that comes in the form of a 2016 Canadian legislative bill known as C-16. If you're unfamiliar with this bill, as most understandably are, it is summed up by Canada's Library of Parliament as a bill crafted with the intent to, quote, "...protect individuals from discrimination within the sphere of federal jurisdiction and from being the targets of hate propaganda as a consequence of their gender identity or their gender expression." The bill adds, quote, uh, gender identity or expression to the list of prohibited grounds of discrimination in the Canadian Human Rights Act and the list of characteristics of identifiable groups protected from hate propaganda in the criminal code. It also adds that evidence that an offense was motivated by bias, prejudice, or hate based on a person's gender identity or expression constitutes an aggravating circumstance for a court to consider when imposing a criminal sentence.
2: So pretty much... uh put trans people in as a protected class in hate crimes. That's exactly right. Fair. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, this bill and its focus on gender identity and gender expression really, really set Peterson off. And he decides to pack away his academic paper writing and get out the weapon of choice for the modern culture warrior, YouTube. Peterson leverages his academic credentials for the purpose of drawing attention to this particular bill and expressing how much he hates it. In a series of YouTube videos attacking the bill as a grave threat to free speech rights, he says he would refuse to refer to transgender students by their preferred pronouns, stating that separating gender and biological sex was, quote, radically politically correct thinking. He argued that C-16 would lead to people like him being arrested. So was this when he was
0: arguing about, like, not just, like, guys that wanted to be uh, addressed as she or flip-flop that, but, like, where they even would even go into something deeper like where they would have like XE and all sorts of like if I wanted to be uh, considered a horse I could be considered a
2: horse and I think stuff it's like more that. just like if you're born female he doesn't think you should be able to go by anything other than a sheep.
1: yeah Randy's onto it but also there that's the thing is that the, the they'll take uh, an inch and stretch it a mile to that they're like oh these kids want to identify as a as a cat or right. whatever yeah yeah and yeah. so you have two ways to look at it is in terms of like the social aspect there's social impact and then a legal impact right and we're talking about a bill here so of course it can only be defined by the parameters of that legal it's weird impact. to see
2: like what will stoke someone mm-hmm. stoke somebody's fire to come out like this and like oh there's the true yeah. jordan peterson right i had to take um yeah this to get him to like it seems like to pop out of his shell yeah. and be like that's you know what i'm gonna make all my life's work and say this is where i choose to come out and stand my ground yeah in academia and Absolutely. Yeah. Or
0: on the flip side, he knows that he's on the downward trajectory, and he's like, "I'll bet you if I hit this hot topic,
1: it can, you know, yeah, it at could least be throw both. me into the limelight." Yeah, it could be both. Porque no los dos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in a separate interview from the YouTube videos, Peterson defiantly declared, "Quote: If they find me, I won't pay it. If they put me in jail, I'll go on a hunger strike. I'm not doing this. I'm not using the words that other people require me to use, especially if they're made up by radical left wing ideologues." End quote. The argument that Peterson is making here that people shouldn't be jailed for not calling someone by their preferred pronouns uh, is honestly reasonable. You shouldn't be jailed for refusing to call a transgender person by their preferred name or pronoun. Does it make you an asshole? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, like, how hard is it to be polite and call someone by their preferred name? Right. How much does it affect your like day, really? You know what I'm saying? But being an asshole isn't a crime, not in any legal sense, necessarily. Beyond that, though, there's a real problem here with Peterson's take. And that's because that isn't what the bill was intended to do, right? And that isn't just my, like, flippant podcasting guy opinion here. Experts on Canadian law said that Peterson was misreading the bill, that the legal standard for, quote, hate speech would require something far worse, like saying transgender people should be killed to qualify for legal punishment. Well, and two, I was just kind of thinking about it. If he has such a problem with
2: this, did he always hate gays? You know, or is this part of that whole like viewing the macho kind of ideology as that narcissistic view? We've kind of talked a little bit about if that plays into the why behind it. I'm still kind of figure out why this was the triggering moment. I don't know if he's always hated gays, but I know that during one of
0: uh, the parts of the podcast, he was talking to Joe about how he has a son and a daughter. The daughter's a little bit older. And when his son was two and his daughter was three, they were downstairs they were playing and some of her friends were over and they were dressing him up in like a dress and fairy wings and they were all like all running around as little fairies and princesses and okay. stuff like that and he was like and i got worried there and joe's like why are you worried mm-hmm. and he's like well you know um and he kind of stammers a little bit mm. and this is like he's been you know just rapid fire with everything and this yeah. is where he starts to stammer and Joe's like, man, you don't think that, you know, girls just think that's funny because my daughters have gotten me mm-hmm. to dress up in a dress. My wife was throwing out a dress and they got me to dress up in it and they took pictures and they were laughing. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the point? You know, like, what are you afraid of? Basically. Yeah. And he was like, are you afraid that this is going to make him gay or something? Or right. like, you know, are you afraid right. of, you know, is this is just mo- uh, machoism coming through. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I mean, I mean, I was just, you know, it it uh, For like two hours I was like contemplating this Mm -hmm. but then I had a conversation with my wife and I was completely okay with it. Mm -hmm. But you could like if I was playing with him at the poker table in that moment right there I'm like I'm all in. You know.
1: Well that's the thing too because we'll get into this as we go but like he's had a platform before he was super famous as being a professor and intellectual and stuff like that and so he didn't get a lot of pointed questions. So he just, you could say what you feel and sure. everybody was sort of in awe and like, Oh, that's whatever professor Peterson thinks. And so then when someone does point it out, sometimes you have to question if he really has thought this out or mm-hmm. if he's, he he has a hard time rebutting certain things. Yeah, but sure. beyond all that, let me just get down to this bill, right? Think of it this way. Like most hate speech laws passed in many countries. The idea is that if a crime is committed and predicated on the hate of a protected group, that there can be larger penalties awarded as a result. For instance, if I beat a person to death because they stole my sick-ass 95 Chrysler LeBaron, the application of a murder charge would suffice. And honestly, I'd be exonerated, of course, because it would be justifiable homicide. That fucking LeBaron is convertible, dude. That's right. <laughs> but on the other hand, if I beat a person to death because they were transgender, and there was sufficient evidence that I beat them to death solely because they were transgender, i.e. blog post where I openly talked about beating transgender people to death prior to the act, (laughs) then a prosecutor could potentially apply additional charges based on that. And if I spent a lot of time explicitly inciting people to commit acts of violence on a group of people just because they belong to that group, whether they're gay or transgender or Jewish or black or immigrants or cowboys fans, then I could be subject to some sort of legal action, which doesn't sound unreasonable to me at all.
0: Right. Especially the Cowboys fans part.
1: Exactly right. Actually, they're not a protected class. They probably (laughs) should be if they come into my house. I'm just kidding. I don't really care that much. Cheryl Milne, director of the Asper Center of Constitutional Rights at the University of Toronto, Peterson's employer at this time pointed out at the time that malicious use of misgendering pronouns could be used as part of the evidence to demonstrate an overall pattern of discrimination, but sending someone to jail is not a possible outcome for human rights complaints. Right? She says, quote, if it's just the pronoun, not much is going to happen. She stated. Yep. Again, if you're that guy at work who is continuously calling a transgender woman, dude or whatever, (laughs) It might be used as evidence later on of a pattern of behavior if you're found guilty of a crime that corresponds with your dislike of transgender people. But you aren't going to go to jail because you called a transgender woman Larry or whatever. Yeah, I think they were
0: trying to tie it in a little bit, too, to like people who would rent out to other people Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And if, you know, the renter would constantly, Uh, uh, you know, like just in a derogatory term, like, shut up, man, or what's up, man? You know, knowing that they wanted to be something else that that could be used in in that context.
1: Yeah, it's like at a restaurant. If you refuse to serve black people, it's going to be a problem because that's bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) And look, I said, if you disagree with that particular application of the law, that's okay too. You can have your opinion on it, but you should be honest in your critique of it. You yeah. shouldn't be out there telling everybody that if I call uh, a transgender person by their you know, non-preferred name that I'm going to go to jail and have to go on a fucking hunger strike. Right. Total horseshit. Yeah. Gaslighting. Yeah. Because Peterson's critique most certainly was not a fair assessment of this. He never was at risk of going to jail or being fined because he refused to acknowledge someone for their preferred gender. An AFP fact check done the year after the legislation passed in which they did a review of the Canadian legal databases showed that there was not a single case of an individual being sent to jail for misusing gender pronouns. Duh. Yeah. But that doesn't matter at all. What matters is that Jordan Peterson levers his academic background to move his opinion on a bill into the global spotlight where an audience is primed and waiting for it. Suddenly, practically overnight, Jordan Peterson goes from some obscure Canadian academic to intellectual leader who destroys, lives, and owns SJWs with logic on YouTube.
2: <laughs> SJW.
1: Yeah, social justice warrior. Okay. That's a, right. Yeah, it's uh, like a, it's a pejorative. They're like, oh, fucking SJWs out here asking for equal rights and shit, man. <laughs> And don't get me wrong. Some of these fuckers are annoying. I get that. You know what I'm saying? But the base thing here is that, like, should people have uh, equal access to certain rights? Yeah. Yeah. Within a month of posting his YouTube videos decrying C-16, they rack up north of 400,000 views. And by the end of 2018, Jordan Peterson's Patreon is bringing in $80,000 a month. Oh. We'd like to hit that goal, guys. Uh, (laughs) Maybe not the route he took, but uh, but, uh, step
2: up your game, Patreon subscribers. (laughs) Yeah, No,
1: the Patreon subscribers are doing their job. It's the rest of you people out (laughs) there. That's right. That's right. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Or non-Patreon subscribers. (laughs) His YouTube videos are garnering millions of views each. He has lucrative speaking engagements everywhere, including appearances on huge platforms like the Joe Rogan experience, which, as we noted in the previous show, gets a couple hundred million downloads a month. In that same year, 2018, Peterson, being smart enough to know to strike when the iron is hot, releases his second book, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. In this book, he outlines how to live a good life and sets it up in the uh, ever popular listicle format. And I'm going to be honest. Like the rules themselves are rather pleasant, agreeable, and in most cases obvious. Mm-hmm. On their face, I find myself uh, nodding along with each of them. Here they are. You ready? Okay. Rule number one: Stand up straight with your shoulders back. Rule number two: Treat yourself like you are someone you are responsible for helping. Rule number three: Make friends with people who want the best for you. Rule number four: Compare yourself to who you were yesterday not to who somebody else is today. Rule number five, do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Rule number six, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. Rule number seven, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Rule number eight, tell the truth or at least don't lie. Rule number nine, assume that the person you are listening to might know something you don't. Rule number 10, be precise in your speech. Rule number 11, do not bother children while they are skateboarding, which I particularly like that one. <laughs> Rule number twelve: pet a cat when you encounter one in the street, which I that one's probably the most dangerous. You know, uh,
2: he just seems like he'd be a cat person to me. I don't, you know. Amen. What are you saying? <laughs> Look, yeah, but I'll be honest. Um, I heard about the first six or seven, and I, I felt bad because uh you know i want to say i follow all of those uh-huh. i don't know if i can deep down say that like
1: you're saying that you like do you disagree with them or are you just saying that you don't follow them uh i ag- don't do I th- agree with them but i it sucks yeah you're it's you can't be perfect none of us are perfect
2: it's true but yeah. as you read them it almost kind of makes you feel like shit you're yeah like, oh yeah i do think yeah yeah i'm not gonna pet that goddamn cat yeah
1: yeah. That's the one I probably uh, disagree with the most because <laughs> I'm like you know some of those cats I don't know you, they have diseases. Yeah, if you maybe.
2: generalize it, meaning like be kind to animals and things you encounter, yeah, you know whatever. Yeah. But to me, it sounds like he just googled like the ten things that you should
0: do to be a better person and then added 11 and 12 onto it. Yeah. And then packaged that all into a book and was like, I'm going to get as much money as I can. Yeah, I
1: like, said so He nailed it. It was a listicle. It made sense. And like I so said, we're going to continue on this because it really is a, a, an entry point for a lot of people to Jordan Peterson. You read, Mm -hmm. you hear that, and you're like, "That's totally reasonable." Yeah. And people are like, "Jordan Peterson is a dangerous person." Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. That's totally normal. (laughs) Like, yeah, don't fuck with that kid skateboarding. I'm like, I'm with you. I was skateboarding the night that my wife's water broke. I mean, I was. That's what it is. Grab a camera and not try to interrupt, dude. In each chapter, he starts with a rule and then expands on it with like personal anecdotes, some academic input, and sometimes draws from the greater animal kingdom to make a point. And sometimes it all gets a good bit weirder than the relatively innocuous rule itself. For instance, for the first rule, he explains that there is a, quote, unspeakable primordial calculator deep within you at the very foundation of your brain, far below your thoughts and feelings that monitors exactly where you are positioned in society. And then he relays how male lobsters have accentuated their posture to gain hierarchical dominance with their peers And this has worked for hundreds of millions of years, and we're also animals, and so, yeah, you should stand up straight and put your shoulders back as a starting point to asserting your hierarchical dominance, because all animals have social hierarchies, and the lobster cheat-coded the shit or something, I don't know. Wow, the lobster thing took me off guard there. Yes, and this, of course, left a number of marine biologists scratching their heads. (laughs) Rightfully so. They wrote articles and everything, I read them. (laughs) One pointed out that a comparison between a human and a lobster, socially speaking, is the equivalent of comparing the game Snake on a first-generation mobile phone in a modern augmented reality VR game. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> is good posture a benefit? Yeah, for sure, dude. I mean, But the link to the lobster and the idea that what he called, quote, pursue your rightful destiny, that you should look for your inspiration to the victorious lobster with his 350 million years of practical wisdom, seems like a bit of a stretch. There is not a direct line between lobster behavior and human behavior, as Peterson seemed to suggest, and there isn't a shared strategy for success between us and lobsters. (laughs) Uh, But I'm not going to spend a lot of time, because even though he tried to shoehorn some weird-ass animal kingdom knowledge in there, the advice is reasonable, right? Improve your posture, you know? Cool. Anyways, the book is an absolute monster. By January of the following year, it had sold 3 million copies. Oh, wow. Jeez. And Jordan Peterson becomes a bona fide intellectual superstar. So, what is the draw to Jordan Peterson? Well, to be perfectly honest, Jordan Peterson is a very good speaker and a decent writer. He said years of practice giving lectures. Regardless of what I feel about the content, he is a compelling orator.
2: Yeah, 100%. Yep. Some people are just really good at speaking. You want to hear them talk. Yeah. Uh, President Obama. Yeah. Just interesting to listen to talk. Yeah. I was listening to, not going to say his name, but a political figure in the last election cycle talking. Just, I mean, took the room over. You yeah. know what I mean? And then you have others that get up there and just, they're on as polished. Yeah. You know, just, it's that gift of uh, the delivery. Yeah. I think is a lot of it. The, the content, the words themselves are often the same. Yep. It's the way you... Make yeah. your pauses and yeah. state things for impact.
1: You have to have a compelling message and you have to have a compelling delivery. Yeah. And the more practice you get, which he's had tons yep. as, a, as a professor, mm-hmm. you get to talk to a group of people uninterrupted. Of course, he's going to be pretty good at
0: it. And I think his voice also carries a little bit, too. Like, yeah. it, it, it's just a... He has an interesting accent, mm-hmm. um, and maybe it's uh, it seems a little bit different than a lot of the Canadians that I've heard before. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it definitely helps That's for right. sure.
1: That's like the third time that you have trashed the Canadians on the show, buddy. <laughs> <Is that laughs> trashing them? I'm joking, man. <laughs> I'm telling totally you, I love my Canadian friends. I know they're awesome. They
0: were my neighbors at one point. That's, That's right.
1: right. Second, he comes with a legitimate set of academic and intellectual credentials. This allows for some people to accept his arguments more readily, as he's obviously a highly educated person. I mean, he's a smart guy, dude. Sure. And in the worst case scenarios, it allows for people to turn off their critical minds and allow him to do the thinking for them. Bonus, it allows them to feel a sense of satisfaction. Allows them to feel like deep thinkers because they're absorbing the thoughts of a bona fide intellectual, after all. Stylistically, he's a great package for a specific demographic. Young men who consider themselves serious-minded and intellectual. He looks and dresses like a rock star intellectual. Suits mostly, uh, but you know, suits that a professor looks like he'd wear to like a faculty Christmas dinner. (laughs) Uh, He sounds like an intellectual. He's got the pedigree. He's controversial and he speaks to and lends credence to a segment of the population that arguably feels left out in the cold, like intellectually and academically speaking.
2: So he kind of does pander to the same audience that Andrew mm-hmm. Tate does. That's
1: exactly right. Right. That, yeah. And so that is the overlap. The,
2: yep. I think that's where the comparison comes in.
0: Yes. When they looked at his numbers uh, from YouTube, it was something like it was 70% males that were in that same age range. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And a guidebook to life that offers simple, barely obvious advice, underpinned and bolstered by interesting anecdotes about psychology and animal behavior and sociology. Well, that's a great package for young men that are drifting in an increasingly confusing world that are like looking for a compass. Yep. But substantively speaking, what is Jordan Peterson about really? Well, he has a number of pet causes. He talks frequently about the crisis in masculinity or the backlash against masculinity. He argues against the idea of there being any validity to the concept of white or male privilege. He hates identity politics, which is kind of interesting, uh, but we'll get into that. And political correctness. He believes in strict concepts of gender identities, obviously. We've talked right. about that. Mm-hmm. He is not a fan of feminism and sees nothing wrong with a patriarchal society. He thinks college uh, courses like women's studies should be defunded. Oh, wow. Yeah. Damn. Uh, and he's a fan of social hierarchies in humanity. Well, maybe not so much a fan per se uh, as a believer that it is ingrained in us and serves a purpose that is of greater uh, value than the goal of egalitarianism. So honestly, if you
2: take a step back and kind of think about what he's saying, a guy like me would fit in perfectly in his perfect world. I would be the biggest and the strongest out of you three Mm -hmm. or of us three. And uh, I would put us on blast
1: there. No, it's it's hundred percent
2: true. I would, I would do whatever I wanted with you two, right? (laughs) And not in vaguely Uh. sexual. (laughs) Yeah, I would have my way with you two. Gross. But in his world, that's what it sounds like. The big, obviously, the strong will. You know, the strong shall survive, or whatever. But social Darwinism. This that makes it sound as though literally the archaic thought of I am bigger and stronger physically than Mm -hmm. you, and I can beat you up. Therefore, I am superior, Mm -hmm. and you need to back up off me. And women. Don't even think about it, you know. Know your role. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, kind of interesting take on it all.
1: Yeah, he believes that oatmeal raisin cookies are better than chocolate chip. Ooh, Ooh I'm just kidding. That's a big I'm, strike. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> he just that, went up a whole point. That, that one got the biggest uh, eruption from the from the AHC crew here. Uh, I have no proof that he believes that, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. I could see him being the contrarian, being like, actually. Oatmeal a raisin is significantly better and you just don't have a very good palate you fucking asshole do you have a show subject you think would be a great fit for asshole court hit us up on any of our social media pages and let us know as you know we're full of good ideas and some say full of other stuff but we'd love to hear your ideas as well give us a shout and maybe your subject will wind up in our courtroom we'll definitely give you a shout out now let's dive back into the courtroom Anyways, look, all of these are really just sort of extensions of his one true cause. And this is the thing that people don't really understand. This is what I want to get into real quick. That true cause, like the battle against the root of the, the world's problems in which all of these pieces are merely symptoms. And that causes the battle against the horrors of what he calls postmodern Marxism or interchangeably cultural Marxism. Hmm. Now, you might have heard these terms before. <laughs> most likely from a Jordan Peterson interaction or a conversation with a Peterson fan who was really trying to wow you with their intellectual insight, but you probably haven't given much thought about it. Right. So let me earn the big bucks here and be your guide to the world of the cultural Marxism concept. What is cultural or postmodern Marxism? According to Peterson and some others, cultural and postmodern Marxism is the phenomenon, the conspiracy, if you will, in which the Marxist intelligentsia of the world pivoted goals towards the end of the Cold War and the collapse of the Soviet Union. The best way to win the war of ideas, they decided, was to infiltrate and subvert society by pushing Marxist ideology in universities and think tanks and popular culture. That meant that universities became ground zero for the subversion of Western culture and cancel culture and feminism and white guilt and youth culture and Hollywood. And they're all products of a concerted effort by actual Marxists. And postmodernism, the late 20th century movement characterized by broad skepticism, subjectivism, or relativism, a general suspicion of reason, and an acute sensitivity to the roles of ideology in asserting and maintaining political and economic power, which Peterson fucking hates, is also an extension and a tool of the Marxist to subvert Western culture. Let me bring
2: one thing up real quick. You know, it talked about, you know, them spreading the message in the universities, right? Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. um, The kids who might buy into this bullshit, they may not be the kids in college. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean. So I don't know if you can pin like (laughs) something like that idea just on college because what I don't even know the percentages, but I would guess fifty percent or less. Oh, I'm gonna get into college. Yeah, okay, yeah,
1: absolutely. Touch on this because it is this is the foundation of everything
0: that he believes. Okay. So is this like Russia's last ditch effort? As they're going down the toilet.
1: Not Russia necessarily, but you have like a global cabal of people that are Marxists, right? Okay. That's the concept. Okay. And again, I was like, you know, with our audience here, I apologize. Are you still with me? <laughs> like <laughs> I know this is uh, not Screech or the Mama June episode. It's uh it's a little You're different. welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Both Randy shows. Yes, but hang in there because this is actually important. Because Peterson talks about it all the time, dude. He says things like, quote, The Marxists aren't just wrong. They're wrong, murderous, and genocidal. The postmodernists don't just uh, get to come along and adopt Marxism as a uh, matter of a sleight of hand because their Marxist theory didn't work out, and they need a rationalization because it's too dangerous. It's too dangerous to the rest of us, end quote. In one of his lectures titled, quote, Identity Politics and the Marxist Live White Privilege, he says, quote, Postmodernists don't believe in fact. They believe that the idea of fact is part of the power game that's played by the white-dominated male patriarchy to impose the tyrannical structure of the patriarchy on the oppressors. So he's this is a commonality. He talks about this stuff all the time. Like this is like this is why he always talks about like white guilt or like why uh, you know white privilege is an absurd idea. Mm-hmm. And then, like, let's talk real quick about what white privilege is. It's just to say, hey, you know, uh, we've had a pretty good run at it, uh, you know, for right. uh, you know a, a good couple centuries here. Like, we've had better access to things than a lot of minorities have. Uh, certainly, with uh, you know black people in the country being slaves, it doesn't seem like that insane of a theory. It doesn't mean that you should apologize for being white. It's just saying that you acknowledge that you know you're probably better off because your ancestors were white in a country where it was advantageous to be white.
0: Sure. And that's almost like sometimes he brings it up on on, uh, a couple of the speeches that I've heard him doing on the JRE and it almost seems like he's talking about the only people that we can make fun of at this point Mm -hmm. is the white male. You can't make fun of any other group. So it almost feels like he is in this
1: instance like mad that that is. Yeah, he's aggrieved. Yeah, exactly. 100 percent, man. Uh, Like I said, his fear and disdain of cultural postmodern Marxism is the underpinning of his entire political framework. Like I was just saying everything else is just exhaust out of the tailpipe. That's feminism. That's college campus culture right now. That's cancel culture. All that comes from this underpinning theory of cultural Marxism. Now, what's interesting to me, too, is like. The gushing that comes from Jordan Peterson fans when they talk about this idea in a way that makes it sound like new and revolutionary, right? They're like, "Dude, postmodernism, Marxism is what caused fucking Louis C.K. to get canceled, bro." Jordan Peterson says, like, "Blah blah blah."
2: Did <laughs> you know? Louis C.K. jerk off? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. His
1: dick
0: is what got him in yeah. trouble.
1: Exactly. But here's the thing. Cultural Marxism, or Peterson's specific postmodern Marxism branding, isn't a new concept at all. It's a total retread of an old idea and one that I heard constantly from my fucking grandparents back when I was a young conservative. The communists had infiltrated the colleges and Hollywood. My grandmother would profess like whenever like an actor expressed a political opinion that was different from hers or when a scientist was on the television explaining that the earth was more than a mere six thousand years old, like (laughs) real John Burt society shit. And get this. The idea was old when my grandmother was a little girl. Right. For real. Oh, yeah, sure. Jordan Peterson's postmodern Marxism is as fresh an idea as the traffic signal. <laughs> Seriously, because the traffic signal was invented in 1923, roughly the same time as the concept of the insidious conspiratorial infiltration of Marxism. Its initial brand name was cultural Bolshevism. Okay, But instead of the invasion occurring on college campuses or in Hollywood production offices, it was the conspiratorial creeping of Bolshevism, read Marxism, via modern art Uh, oh the horror uh uh-huh the association of new art with bolshevism circulated in a right wing and nationalist discourses like throughout the 1920s even being the subject of a chapter in adolf hitler's mein kampf huh amid hitler's rise to power the nazis denounced a number of contemporary styles as cultural bolshevism notably abstract art and bauhaus architecture German artists such as Max Ernst and Max Beckman were similarly denounced as cultural Bolsheviks. Man, can you not just not like art? Not a huge abstract art guy, right? But
2: it's okay just to not like something. You don't have to fucking pass a law that says, fuck this.
1: They did. The Nazis had what they had. They actually had like showcases of what they called degenerate art. When there was art that wasn't like things that uh, sort of aligned with like Nazi culture and stuff like that, so stuff like Picasso, stuff that's hanging on my wall there, all those stuff like that uh, is it's not a real Picasso, but like, it's a, uh, but like they exhibited it and they were like this is a degenerate art, and a lot of those pieces went missing and are still can't be found interesting nazi missing art or nazi treasure and stuff like that is pretty fascinating but again we're getting back to that they're saying oh the the bolsheviks are coming in they're trying to change our entire society and they're doing it in like subverted ways it's uh, the art that they're trying to like change everybody's mind with yeah
0: they're seeking power through art
1: yeah yeah, there you go Jordan Peterson's political philosophy is just the same old paranoid conspiratorial claptrap wrapped up in a shiny new package and endorsed by a new type of celebrity, right? It's certainly alluring to many people that haven't been exposed to the idea before, especially when peddled by someone with great oratory skills and a legitimate academic credibility, right? Mm -hmm. And another unfortunate reality is that the army in the fight against cultural Marxism is chock full of some pretty unsavory soldiers. Sure. Another person that talked about cultural Marxism was a guy named Anders Breivik.
2: Are you guys familiar with him? The only Anders I know is from um, Workaholics. That's right. Durs.
1: Yeah, Durs rules. Uh, This is not him. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know no Anders. Anders Breivik. If you're not, he was the fascist asshole that killed 77 people on Utoya Island in Norway back in 2011.
2: I remember that.
1: That's right. Was it a field trip or something? It was. They had like a, it was like a camp. Yeah, a, it was like a sort of like a, a, the equivalent of like a, a for the Democrat Party for Norway and the kids would come in there and stuff like that. And he showed up, literally showed up like a fucking weirdo in like swim gear and shot. He killed 77 people. Yeah. Oh, my God. 77, yeah. The introductory chapter of his manifesto that he released prior to the mass killing asserted that political correctness is responsible for social rot. He blamed the promulgation of political correctness on cultural Marxism. He further blamed feminism for allowing the erosion of the fabric of European society and advocated a restoration of patriarchy, which he claims would save European culture. Another big fan of the cultural Marxism theory is a guy named John Timothy Ernest, and if you're not familiar with him... Well, he's the guy that is responsible for the horrifying movies Ernest Goes to Camp, Ernest Goes to Prison, <laughs> and Ernest Scared Stupid. What are you talking Ernest about, Ernest Goes to Burn. Jail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm totally kidding. John Timothy Ernest is the guy that is responsible for the Poway, California synagogue shooting in 2019. Side note, I love the Ernest movies. R.I.P. Jim Varney.
2: Yeah. Great actor. Ernest Goes to Jail was pretty, pretty funny. They're all great. Yeah. Camp was great. Yeah. Ernest Goes to Camp was a good one. Yeah. yeah.
1: Hey, Vern. Yeah. Another fan of the theory was a guy named Jack Renshaw. He's a neo-Nazi child sex offender convicted of plotting the assassination of labor MP uh, Rosie Cooper. Promoted the conspiracy theory in a video for the British National Party. Mm. And that's the important thing here, right? The cultural Marxism conspiracy theory has flavors of anti-Semitism in it since back in the Nazi days. Mm -hmm. It has white nationalism uh, mixed into it. And it has tinges of inherent misogyny. It is not a harmless conspiracy theory like Bigfoot or whatever, uh, and it has uh, like unquestionably, verifiably been used to weaponize people to commit violence, as I've just pointed out. Jeez. And Peterson is absolutely acting as a funnel to that mindset. Imagine a young man that is struggling a little bit, right? He's not doing well in school. He's having trouble with girls. Maybe he just got dumped or he just can't seem to get a girlfriend at all, right? He doesn't know what he wants to do with his life. And he's surrounded by social media representations of people that their lives are like looking really awesome compared to his. Yep. And he's looking for direction, not always consciously, but he's primed to find someone that wants to offer him a path. And he comes across Peterson's 12 rules. Again, we all we're at 12 rules make sure. sense. Yeah, 100 percent. They make perfect sense to him. And this guy is like a legitimate scholar, right? So the credibility is built in. He reads them and decides that he will improve his posture. Make his bed, be honest, and he will pursue what is meaningful, not expedient. He suddenly finds purpose in his life, a direction. He's feeling so much better now.
0: Yeah, especially if, like, you know, he's an alcoholic or dealing with some kind of, like, drug uh, abuse or something like that. And this is what helps course correct that for him. Yeah. Like that just, uh, you know. uh, Fan for life. Yeah, 100%.
1: Absolutely, right? So he's a big fan of the book and he starts checking out Jordan Peterson's videos on YouTube. One video has Peterson talking about the lobster. The importance of presenting yourself to the world. Another video is about how political correctness is killing the West. That transgender people are acting as fascists when they force people to acknowledge their preferred pronoun or whatever that is. And this kid thinks, yeah dude, I can call him what I want to. And you can, that's fine. Another video talks about how political correctness is a product of postmodern Marxism. This kid starts looking into cultural Marxism from sources around the web. A lot of the stuff he's reading sounds right. He shouldn't have to apologize for being white or for being a man. And the reason that things aren't going well is because of a Marxist confederacy against white men, basically. Like they're trying to ruin the traditional aspect of uh, what you are, a young white man. They took our lives. That's right. And there you go. That's the funnel. Mm -hmm. that's the funnel that's what gets that's what gets people there now obviously I'm not saying that every young man that picks up Peterson's 12 rules is going to become a proponent of the cultural Marxist conspiracy theory some really will take the 12 rules at face value and like just move on with their life but some definitely do and there's been 5 million copies of that book sold now and billions of video views even if a fraction of 1% buy into the idea that a hidden cabal of Marxists is trying to destroy their way of life well that's a lot of radicalized motherfuckers yeah
0: yeah it is
1: and then like when you go online you start seeing like this weird masculine culture where they like venerate the idea of masculinity where you have pictures of dudes that are like bearded and ripped as fuck and they'll have things that like a Jordan Peterson quote that says a harmless man is not a good man a good man is a very very dangerous man who has it under voluntary control take a look at that That's actually one of the ones I found.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. A bearded, shredded guy with a man bun. Yeah. A harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very, very dangerous man who has it under voluntary control. Yeah. Yeah. And think almost like Dan Bilzarian. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And there's multiple ones of that. That one quote, there's like multiple ones of dudes that are like holding their daughter and stuff like that. There's a weird thing on the internet where these dudes are like dying to be masculine as fuck. Right. It kind of freaks me out, dude. And like I so said, the thing I should point out here is that the cultural Marxist conspiracy theory is total bullshit. There's been a number of scholarly like debunkings done, but I found one like that was particularly compelling because of like my interest in data analysis and also because it seems fairly quantifiable and tangible. Mm-hmm. Basically, someone online did a database analysis of every academic paper published since the 1980s, or since 1980 actually. And the methodology goes like this. If the conservative anxieties about cultural Marxism reflected a reality, we would expect to see academic publications on Marx, Gramsci, and critical theorists crowding out libertarian, liberal, and conservative voices. Mm-hmm. The idea is like, if this is actually happening, they're getting into universities, then you're going to see a lot more academic work about like pushing Marxist ideas. Sure, sure. Right? sure. Right? So, to test this, this guy conducted quantitative research on the academic uh, database JSTOR, tracking the frequency of names and key ideas in all academic articles and chapter titles published globally between 1980 and 2019. The findings? Mm-hmm. The last four decades have seen a relative decline of Marxist thought in academia. Its influences has been superseded by post-structuralist or postmodernist modernist uh, thinkers like Jacques Derrida, Michel Foucault, Judith Butler, and Deleuze. Post-structuralism is primarily indebted to thinkers of the European conservative revolution led by Nietzsche and Heidegger. So, that's a whole lot of ways of saying like there isn't a push towards Marxism. It's actually sort of the opposite way. Not by much, but it sort of seems like there's sort of a stasis. Hmm. Anyways, following the success of 12 Rules for Life, Peterson became an even more massive star, right? Polarizing and controversial, but massive nonetheless his schedule becomes pretty erratic overwhelming and the stress and the criticisms start taking their toll he begins a diet that consists of only beef water and salt Ooh. yeah yeah
0: i think that his daughter had some kind of autoimmune disease or something like that mm-hmm. and she had to completely change her diet so he jumped in with her and was like if you're going to do this i'll do it as well
1: that's okay. correct yeah she actually uh, his daughter ended up with a website and she's like a uh, consultant for people on their diets and it's a diet that, like I said, is promoted by his daughter, but uh, she has a distinct lack of training or credentials in nutrition or medicine. But whatever. I've heard of the
2: carnivore diet, but, I mean, you've got to get your other nutrients from yeah. those sources, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, he, he went way off the deep end with it. Uh-huh
1: has a diet that Jack Gilbert, the faculty director of the University of Chicago's Microbiome Center and professor of surgery, described in an article I found as, quote, an immensely bad idea, a terribly, terribly bad idea, <laughs> physiologically speaking. Yeah. He starts getting real fucking weird on Twitter. When Sports Illustrated posts her new swimsuit issue image of model Yumi Nu, he freaks out about her thick, curvy-ass body and tweets... Quote, sorry, not beautiful. And no amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that. Oh, which prompted some great Twitter responses like this one from user. Hell on, dude. Uh, quote, it's weird that a freedom guy like Peterson wants to tell me what I'm allowed to get horny about. If I want to leer at intoxicating curves of Zaptic ladies, that's my right as an American. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. yeah. And then one guy even pointed out, he was like, for somebody that talks about like uh definitive versions of beauty and stuff like that has this guy never seen renaissance paintings (laughs) you know what i mean like that's a rubenesque is the term they're big chubby ladies Uh and uh one instance he lashes out seemingly randomly at actor elliot page who was the actress ellen page yep uh saying quote remember when pride was a sin and ellen page just had her breast removed by a criminal physician wow criminal physician out of nowhere
2: jeez damn just went
0: straight at them
1: He gets removed by Twitter for singling out Paige.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, who gives a fuck what she's doing? Like, or he, she's doing, you know, that's. That's their choice
2: as you know, but I don't understand why it matters to so many people. But I
0: I just don't
1: understand. Like, why does it bother you so much?
0: Right. You know, I mean, in one instance, you know, like I can understand like when they're trying to put that information into like elementary school kids heads. But when we have somebody that is, you know, 25 plus that says, you know what I want to do, gender reassignment surgery. Hey, yeah. cool. That's, I,
1: that's what you want to do. Do that's, it. That's the thing, too, is I don't see anybody telling elementary school kids, you should totally go transgender. You know what I'm saying? I think what you're doing is you're, you're, you're dealing with the sort of acceptance that happened with the gay population as well, where it's becoming like, oh, hey, like, it's not uh, evil to be gay. Right. It's also not evil to be transgender and, like, just get used to it. Like, these people exist and they're out there in the world. And at the end of the day, what we should all hope for is for everybody to be, like, as happy as as possible right personally
0: and as accepting of everybody
1: yes. else
2: well that is kind of where i think it lies is they may believe that if they let one person do this then everybody's gonna do it oh yeah you or it's I mean? gonna and or like to
0: jordan peterson when he was sitting there on the podcast he was it seemed like he was scared that his son was going to become gay right 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 you know and it's true
1: i mean I, honestly true story i remember my dad being concerned because I, I had an older sister and like she would because my sister was a bit of a bully to me she would make me play with Barbies and stuff like that and my dad would flip the fuck out dude I am 100% not gay it never affected me you know what I'm saying like my sister put makeup on me all that shit happened the thing is is that like I don't want to have sex with men that's what makes you gay right, right? Yeah, right. and also if I did want to have sex with men I'd be the first to come out and be like dude I'm gay I want to have sex with dudes and you know what who gives a shit right. who gives a fucking cares? shit you know what I'm saying yeah so at the end of the day, they're like, oh, they're trying to make me have sex with them. That's rape, dude. Now you're talking about rape. You're not talking about a personal sexual preference. Right. Yeah. So, like, again, why does this matter so much? I don't get it. It doesn't. Yeah. 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 No. But yeah. And it's also just incredibly like cruel and mean to go after, you know, Paige and say, oh, hey, you, a criminal doctor did what you would make you feel better, Right. Like I said, he gets gets removed from Twitter or whatever. But in response, he posts a 14-minute video on Instagram where he uh, is dressed in his three-piece pinstripe suit. That's the one where I saw someone said he looks like a Batman villain, and (laughs) it just nails it. And he breaks down every word of his tweet and declares that he would rather die than delete it. And hilariously shrieks, Up yours, woke moralist. We'll see who cancels who. (laughs) And what was great was people... (laughs) People were like doing him as like he was like the Wicked Witch of the East. Or oh, nice. Up yours. He said, we'll <laughs> see who cancels who. Uh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. He swears he's going to quit Twitter and then he pops back in the tweet a couple hours later about some other issue. He also breaks down in tears a couple of like during a couple of interviews when talking about the young men that he's helping out, which part of me is like, if you really feel that strongly about it, that's kind of uh, admirable. But you're leading them down a horrible yeah, path. You gotta yeah, you got to take out all the hate, man. Yeah. yeah, Why don't you just like, yeah, be cool about it, and not tell them that like, cultural Marxists are trying to destroy your way of life. Right. There's other yeah. ways to do this. And then one day in late 2019, he disappears from the public eye. There's plenty of speculation about where he might have gone at this point. Well, as it turned out, Jordan Peterson was in a medically induced coma in Russia receiving treatment for a potentially lethal addiction to benzos. Oh, oh I wow. told you. I That's told right. you, he seemed crazy on the JRE that last episode. He went to Russia, and he was put in a medically induced coma for like nine days because he had absolutely gone off the rails on benzos. Like really? Xanax, Valium. I can't remember which one he was doing or which one he was taking at the time. He was prescribed it. Okay. And I think it just went overboard. Now, in all fairness, like his wife also had been diagnosed with kidney cancer He's on a crazy public speaking tour. I think the anxiety got to him. He's already sort of, there's moments in his life, even when he was uh, trying to get on as an actual, like, tenured professor at Harvard, he said he got too depressed and couldn't do it. The guy has mental issues, and I will not fault him for that. That is not at all. Okay, it's, it's, look, you should get help. They
0: touched a little bit on that uh, about uh, his speaking tours, and he said that this was back on, he appeared uh, that last time on January 25th of this year. And of the previous year, I guess 2021, he had had like over 200 speaking uh, uh-huh. uh, um, jobs mm. or engagements yeah. uh, throughout the course of the year. And I mean, like that
1: is a.
2: Imagine going to work every day. It's a crazy and, schedule. Uh, in a different city. Yeah, 100%. Yeah.
1: I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I did uh, when I was traveling, it wears on you and you don't even realize how it affects you. It's like, so the one I I talked to like people I work with now about like how how burnout affects you and you don't even realize that it's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And mine was a moment where I was walking through a hospital and I saw somebody that was in a coma and I was like, lucky bastard. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I, and it it was a sincere thought in my mind. I was like, that would be so nice. To not have to have a lot of stuff to do and just like, just be on a break. just Yeah, just, it was a break. And it, that's when I realized I was like, oh, this is fucked up. Like yeah. You're burning out, bro. Yeah. And so, like I said, I won't fault Jordan Peterson for burning out. I won't fault him at all for an addiction to, to benzos. Benzos are incredibly addictive. It's terrifying. There's only two, uh, you know, substances that can kill you from withdrawals, and that's alcohol and benzos. You yeah. can die mm-hmm. from those. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just interesting to me, too, that like he does all this. And uh, he comes back, and then, like, his daughter's talking about it, and she's she makes a, a very specific point that she was, like, he was physically dependent on benzos. He wasn't a, an addict. Hmm. And I was like, "That's that's fucked up, dude." Yeah, that, yeah. So now you're, you're trying to you're trying to parse things and separate him into oh, he's not really a bad person, but these other addicts are. He didn't have addictive personalities. You're so addicted that you're fucking physically addicted. Yeah, that's like the definition of an
2: addict. Exactly. Yeah,
1: hundred yeah. percent. And also, it's so shitty to sit there and, and like to, to try to like compartmentalize that and be like, no, 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 he's not one of the the bad ones.
0: Right. You yeah. You know, right. fuck
1: you. How, why don't you, you should recognize that and be like, you know what? Instead of spending all the energy that you have on talking about cultural marxism why don't you help fucking addicts out yeah, yeah. Out. you have a fucking platform but he didn't do it you know now he's he's back now he's back in the gears here he's fucking uh, put a new book out and he's actually talking about running uh, for prime minister of canada huh. so who knows maybe someday jordan peterson will get that bobby kennedy state funeral moment but i sure hope not and that is jordan peterson interesting
0: wow That was an eye-opening. I don't know know how well he would do
2: in the the Canadian prime minister uh, election. I don't think he'd do very well at all, but that doesn't mean he's
1: not going to do I mean, look at that. I mean, Kanye West right now is, uh, again, trying, after he just said he loves Hitler, Uh, and that the Jews should forgive Hitler, he's still going to run for president. Herschel Walker ran in Georgia. I mean, it's not, at this point, anybody can be a candidate and have a Decent crack at it. It's Jeez, horrifying. Yeah, just I mean, depending on your
0: popularity, and I think Kanye will be a good kind of marker for that.
1: That guy's. Yeah. Oh, anyways,
2: all right. Final scores, boys. All right. So learned a lot today. Great show. Super technical in terms of a lot of the psychological and the the Marxism thoughts. Yeah, and I apologize where that idea. The idea came from.
1: I know yeah. it's tough to do a show on this guy, but you have to sort of get in the weeds on it because he's intellectual, and so you have to address like that sort of intellectual base. Yeah, sure.
2: Absolutely. Um, so, you know, pre-show, I had him at the highest score at 6.35. I knew a little bit of his antics kind of coming into it. Mm-hmm. Not knowing kind of the impact on, you know, off the platform he's been given. Yeah. Um, I knew he had been banned off of Twitter. I knew some of his social media shit. Didn't realize, you know, I guess how strongly in the paint, for lack of a better phrase, he'd gone on his views with the, the whole anti-Marxism or whatever mm-hmm. you know or what whatever he deems to be what's wrong with America right. why we don't the love world the world the whole world we don't love the big strongest guys anymore right mm-hmm. all that being said I'm looking at our score chart and like Dr. Phil kind of like rings in the same frame as this guy but I think he actually trumps Dr. Phil a little bit so yeah. I've got him at a 7.31 7.31 7.31 okay. for Jordan Peterson yeah buddy what do you got
0: no, I, I like that right there that um, this, I mean, this was an eye opening episode because I was on that, you know, I'm, I'm not one of the guys that was like following him or right. anything, but I definitely was of that, you know, like he seems to be doing a lot of good. He yeah. does a lot of, you know, motivational speeches and, you know, he just seemed at least... With the glasses that I was wearing before the show, it Mm -hmm. looked like he was doing a lot of good out there. Yeah. But then when you find out that really it almost seems like what he's doing is is that is the platform that just kind of baits people in. And then he starts pushing a lot of his like cultural Marxism ideas. And, you know, uh, you start to hear about like whether or not what he says, but how he truly feels towards gay people and what he's afraid of, like how that would you know affect him and his family. Yeah. And how he lashes out at that subgroup of people like that is just insane to me, especially for somebody who has a degree in psychology, was a psychologist. Mm -hmm. He understands that, right? He understands that impact. 100%. Yeah. yeah. 100%. And I hate it when we have these kind of intellectuals that have the power to do good and really ride that wave. But then they, they, you know, they kind of turn Dr. Evil on you and Mm -hmm. turn around and wield their power for
2: evil. A prime example of that would be in the movie Little Nicky. That's right. If you'll remember, release, release the, the good. <laughs> and Popeye's chicken fucking <laughs> rules. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, no, that's, that's horrible, man. I hate it because I, I really did. I, I liked him on the beginning of this. And a lot of what I would hear him talking about on the Joe Rogan podcast, it just... A lot of it was a little bit over my head, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, my eyes would kind of get glazed over on a little bit, but then he would kind of bring me back a little bit. Um, But still, you know, it's just that's tough, man. And I hate to hear it. And, you know, I wish that I could have kept him more in that four, five range, um, you know, where I had him pre-show, but I've got to jump him up. You know, I did like the comparison of uh, Dr. Phil, mm-hmm. but I don't see Dr. Phil really radicalizing even 1% but of his audience. I'm
1: radicalize my fan group. Cultural Marxism <laughs> is a real problem amongst people. You can't put me in that same group
0: there, buddy. <laughs> and so I'm not going to put him in the same group. I am going to put him just a little bit higher. So I am going to say that for a final asshole score, I'm going to put him up at a 7.45. Because, I mean, like Mikey said, if even 1% of his followers even a are...
1: a fraction of 1%. Even a
0: fraction of 1% is jumping onto that boat. I mean, that's a scary number of people. And you're smart enough to know what you're doing. And uh, I just, I can't stand behind that. So, yeah. 7.45, final
2: ask. Right, 7.45 me. for Buddy, Mikey. Take us home.
1: Okay. First of all, I want to say here, I cannot wait to see some of the shit we're going to fucking get from this show <laughs> cuz he has a, a massive fan base i mean people are going to be like you're 100% wrong about everything i dude just read what he's talking about that's the thing is that it's really unfortunate because he is an, an he is an obviously intelligent guy Absolutely. there's a, there's a lot of potential there to do good things in the world and even if you want to just come out and be like hey you make your bones and be rich and do a thing where it's like 12 steps that are pretty obvious to everybody, you know, stand up straight, like clean your
2: fucking room, cool dude. Fuck the good looking lobster. Was that yeah, one of them?
1: Yeah, that was exactly right. You you fucking lobster, less, you, know. Know. you know, don't go to <laughs> someone just read the book and goes into red lobster starts banging <laughs> it in the in the fucking tank. Um but no no no, it's it's uh, the the thing that's that's very concerning for me is there's sort of an insidious nature to what he's doing here. And it's not just him being like, you know, open about like cultural Marxism. It's he'll talk about it. Don't get me wrong, he's not hiding that. But the entry point is something that is innocuous. That is something yeah. is just like uh that we can all agree on. Yeah. You know, if if I was twenty years old right now, I might read that book and I could Get pulled into that funnel. It's
2: the reason they give you free pizza to sign up for a credit card in college. That's correct. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. It's the same reason that when I watch boxing videos, I get tons of fucking uh, Jordan Peterson uh, suggestions on YouTube. <laughs> YouTube, stop this shit. You know what I'm saying? It's not great. You're not helping this out uh, because it is. It is a. It's a compelling uh, thing that he's telling you, and especially if you don't have a sense of like history and understanding that like cultural Marxism is cultural Bolshevism. From back in the '20s, and this is an ongoing thing for years, where it's a conspiracy theory, and people will argue about this. Ben Shapiro believes in this, and I'm like, dude, you're Jewish. This is not a great look. You should be <laughs> yeah. very careful with this because you're just on the other end of that the yeah. razor's edge. So, you know, to, to shorten things up here for me, I mean, I, I'm, I'm scoring at a seven point five. What was good was that uh, you know Randy bringing up Dr. Phil as a good sort of uh, you know baseline. I want to score him a little bit higher, but uh, I'm kind of shocked that we had Dr. Phil at
2: 7.2. Yeah. So I was looking at our thing, too. We got Steve Jobs at 7.5. I'm like, damn. <laughs> I know.
1: I feel Jordan. Yeah. Jordan Peterson is significantly worse. Look, this is uh, part of the fun of the show. We're <laughs> fucking morons. There it is. Uh, so <laughs> 7.5 for Mikey. There you go.
0: All right. With a 7.31 from Randy, a 7.45 from Buddy. And a 7.5 from Mikey. Jordan Peterson's final
2: asshole score is a 7.42. All right, 7.42 puts him directly between Charlie Sheen at a 7.33 and Steve Rimjobs at a 7.5.
1: So the guy that may be radicalizing people is worse than the guy that, that invented the, the iPod iPhone. or mm-hmm. it created the iPod. Yeah, we have well, to. Consider hey, that. well, he
0: was a dick to he his, was a all of dick. his employees. Absolutely. It's true. And
1: I, Jordan Peterson isn't a dick, but he is dangerous. Radicalizing people. Yeah, I don't yeah. think he's
0: parking
2: in handicapped parking spots, but
1: yeah, I'd maybe trade that out for him. Radicalizing young men. To <laughs> uh, anyways, go yeah, ahead.
2: Give and take. Awesome. We hope you enjoy this episode of Asshole Court. All you Patreon listeners, be on the lookout. Your uh, holiday gift is on its way. Everybody that's wondering what the hell is it that they got and you didn't. Go to patreon.com, sign up, and the next gift giveaway, you're going to be in on it. We're going to do about every quarter or so uh, some cool swag to go out to all of our Patreon followers just to let them know that we definitely appreciate their support. What's keeping uh, us motivated is all of you. We appreciate all support. Be kind to one another. We'll see you next time on Asshole Court.